0: Amen. This week is the final message on follow God. And for me, it's, it's been a great journey, but a challenging journey. Because when things are going on around about us, we can get quite distracted, we, we can get annoyed, we can get frustrated, and yet in the midst of it, that is life, isn't it? And so what we need to do and what we need to do is learn how to follow God. I think not just following God, but following God close, close up. And so we've obviously, in this last number of weeks, this is week seven, we've included the Volunteer Sunday, those who serve each week. We've included the kids in UB in the sense of the generations that would follow God, we heard that today also with the seniors following God and how great it is to hear 28 to, I think, 45 then on the last... How, how great is that to hear? That's amazing. We give God glory and thank you for all your work that you do and the team that do works with that. Glennis, thank you. It's all about following God, isn't it? We think about Christmas and we think, well, what did Jesus really come down for? And we heard that, but amongst other things that we can learn and we can articulate... The reality is Jesus came so that we could follow him. And following him helps us to know God. And then we fit in and we find our destiny, our fulfilment of life and our purpose and our call. So there's a few challenges along the way and the picture of Moses being raised up to be a reluctant leader also had the sense of reluctance followers, and so the journey of the wilderness from Egypt into the promised land was not an easy one. It was quite difficult. There was much of the blessing of God and the miracles God and the favour of God, but it still was a challenge. There were still battles to be fought and victories to lay hold of. So in following God, I want to not spend so much on what we've looked at, but to just challenge us in probably what it's really all about. And I think that today really sums up the whole of Exodus, my heart. God had, had to deal with a people who, who were thinking Egyptian. God thinking and feeling, wanting like the Egyptians, but they bled Hebrew. And so what we have to learn and discover is that God wants to take us on that journey of whatever we're walking through, whatever it is that we've been part of, That There's a distinction clearly made in that we need to know him and follow him. And so my heart, really, I believe, is is the centre of the whole of Exodus, and we'll go through that in the next few moments together. A few weeks ago, I joined the team who play bowls. Now I've bowled a few times. And what was really interesting is that when we were playing and they were teaching me how to bowl of the ball, uh, they, they talked about this bias. And I was trying to work out what happened. You've got to get the bias of the ball. And what I realised is obviously the ball has a weight. And the ball can go out like that and then come back in. It's incredible. And with great skill, you can make it go straight to, to go way out and come back in. It's incredible. My first ball, I, I got really good about a foot away from the, the little white ball, the jack. I thought that was pretty good and they all looked a bit surprised. After that, I went, went everywhere else, off the mat and down. It's probably still rolling down the street somewhere. But it got me thinking about how we have a bias as well. Our hearts have a bias. So unless we allow God to be the author of our hearts, the, the creator, the speaker of our hearts, the influencer of our hearts, will always go back to our default, our bias. So follow God is to help each and every one of us understand as as believers that God wants us to follow him and it's not for the faint-hearted. According to the Bible, the heart is the centre not only of all spiritual activity but the operation of our human life. It is the sum of who we are. There is a bias in our hearts. The Bible speaks about this in a number of passages right throughout the Bible. It speaks about a fleshly heart and a stony heart. And there's more, this is not exhaustive. An idolatrous heart, thank you, I said that. A hardened heart, an embittered heart, a prideful heart. And even in Proverbs 14, 14, it speaks of a backslidden heart. But there's much more. Look at what God says about the unregenerate heart, the unrenewed, the unrepentant heart. In Jeremiah 17:9, it will be up on the screen, the heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In another translation. It says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It is extremely difficult to follow God without a regenerate heart, a renewed heart. And one of the thoughts we need to understand is that we are not to trust our hearts, how we feel, our feelings. They're not always true, but rather we are to commit our hearts to follow Jesus. And this is the journey of the Israelites from Egypt to the promised land and beyond. In Zechariah 7.12, the challenge for the people that day was to show mercy and and live kindness and and justice out. And that says this, they made their hearts diamond hard. I think that's pretty hard lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord, the host had sent them by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. Amongst the life's challenges and and difficulties, our heart is center and it is critical in how we follow God and how close we stay to God. So, I. I sense that says that if, if Exodus teaches us anything, if Moses is a, an example for us, as the New Testament says, then there are some lessons here for us. When we are born again, God performs a heart transplant. As it were, he gives us a new heart. The power of the Holy Spirit changes our hearts from sin-focused to God-focused. We do not become perfect, you can read that in 1 John 1 1.8, if we sin, or if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We still have sinful flesh, and this body, uh, and the freedom to choose whether or not we will obey. When Jesus died on the cross, he broke the power of sin that controls us, so we are, if there's anyone who is free, we are free to choose to sin or not. You can read Romans 6.10. 10. Love this verse in John chapter 6, verse 6, 666. 6, 6, 6. Anyway, we'll keep moving. Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father has granted it. From then on that moment, disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him or no longer followed him. What was the problem? Well, Jesus talks earlier in the, in, the, in the context of this passage that, you know, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of this. And there some some other home truths that were spoken, but they walked away. Why? Jesus directly challenged them in their faith, but he confronted their pride. Pride is unteachableness. It is stubbornness and resistance. The Bible speaks of the pride of life and the pride that is self-consuming, self-elevating over others and even over God and it corrupts our hearts. The pride of life that we learn speaks about loving the world and everything that is of the world. There's a challenge for us. So God takes these people and he takes us each and every day through the journey of going from an awareness of God to an encounter with himself. And I wonder if the question is that all who follow him do they have or had an encounter with him? How quick could they turn away these disciples that the Bible says were not just people, it says they were disciples. They were following until Jesus said something that they disagreed with. And they chose to walk away. Jesus looks at Peter and says, well, you can go too, guys, if you want. While we're on this roll, this is the day. And Peter said, we've got nowhere to go. You have the words and the message of eternal life. Great answer, Peter. Peter. See, sometimes we are our own biggest obstacles in following God. And so we've learning in this series, unraveling and unpacking, that it's our responsibility. It's nobody else's. We all get hurt. We all get offended. We all get put off. But my heart, my responsibility. It's my heart, it's my responsibility. I've got to own it. I've got to own my mistakes. I've got to own how I hear things, how I perceive, how I do life. I've got to own it. It's mine. It's mine alone. And With God's help, each of us come to that reality. The significant direction that God wanted to take the people through was to let my people go to Pharaoh because God wanted them to serve him, not the gods of Egypt. We read in the scripture, I won't go into it, that God is a jealous God. That's okay. We had a pastor friend of ours who one day brought some big bunch of flowers for my wife, Gabe. Lovely guy, he's a paramedic. Love the guy. I felt a little jealous. felt like I haven't done that in a while. And this guy comes and he buys her flowers, didn't he? Gabe didn't let me live it down for a while. <laughs> I was a little jealous, born out of love, and maybe my own inadequacies. But not so with God. There's no inadequacy with God. Hebrews 3.10 speaks on that. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. See, Exodus teaches us, it sets it up. And the very first lessons that God wants to teach them is that now you are no longer slaves, you are my people. You are my family. I want to be your God. But you have to allow me to do that. And so the Ten Commandments, we, we think of these as just a whole set of rules and obligations and things that they must do. But in fact, they were given out of pure grace. We have no right to have relationship with God. Right of claim to be in relationship with God. It's far beyond our wildest dreams, and yet somehow God humbles himself and he provides an invitation for us through the Ten Commandments that say if you do these things, we can be friends. We can hang out together. I will be your God and you will be my people. We get caught. Been looking at the law as thinking it's a whole heap of do's and don'ts and Paul talks about that. Don't touch and don't do this. It's really a matter of the heart. Ephesians 2.8 says it, By grace that you have been saved, not of works, lest any man or any one of us could boast. So while we live in this flesh, we're always going to contend with sin. Yes, Jesus broke the power of sin and we can be free from its control and influence. Nonetheless, it still has influence. And we see that today with believers and church and Christians where people are, we can lean a little towards the flesh or a little towards the spirit. And our processing and our decision making. I do it. I'm sure we all do it. The passage of the wilderness provides an opportunity to establish a heart after God, a heart that longs for God, that pants after God. And you read Exodus and you see how when Moses is up on the mountain with God and there's thunder and lightning and they think he's not coming back, it's been 40 days, where is he? And so they go to, they get some ideas to build a calf. Their natural inclination to want to worship something wrong and false and imperious. So my heart, my responsibility. In Mark 12, 30, love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a believer. There's no halfway. There's no little bit of this and a little bit of that. Let's, let's dance to sin. Let's see how close we get, like Lot and his wife, who, who settled right on the border, Of the Canaanites, right near Sin City, and we see what happened. No, we can't play around with sin because it's real and it's devastating. And we can look at society and read the news daily of what it costs us, what it costs families, what it costs people when we lean the wrong way. Who remembers Keith Green? Thank you. Remember the song he wrote? Creating me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. It's a beautiful song. Beautiful words. Not making it law, not being religious about it, but just saying, God, I want to follow you. I am here for you. Everything else is second and third and fourth. It's got to be you first. Let's have a look at Hebrews chapter 3 just a little bit and then we'll get ready to close. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not. You have a choice. As in the rebellion. Interesting that many times in in the New Testament and even Jesus made reference in in John chapter 6, looking back at what they did, Looking back as they were released and and the struggle that they went through. And this is making reference where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers and sisters. Let there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called day, today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin has a consequence. It has a price tag every single time. For we have come to share Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden, your hearts as in rebellion. Verse 16, for those who, who heard and yet rebelled, was it not for those who left Egypt, led by Moses? Reference. Reference. And with whom... Was he provoked for 40 years, was it not, those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? In other words, it didn't make it through, didn't make it to the promise, didn't make it to the end. And who did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. That's a pretty sobering passage of scripture. He's feeling the love right now. It's a challenge. It's a warning. It's a lesson for each and every one of us. Never think that we are bigger than ourselves. Bigger than God wanted us to be. So there are a lot of things that can go on in our lives that weaken us and distract us and affect our, our hearts and discourage us. Here are a couple of things I, I found. Uh, you'll see them in the list there on the next page, I think. Some of these things were not exhaustive difficulties. Cares of the world, the love of money, lovers of self, trials and testings, fear and disobedience, lack of trust, wants, selfish ambition, ignorance towards grace, lack of soul care, lack of remembrance. That's why we have our Lord's remembrance, the table, come around so we don't forget what it means. Deceitfulness of sin, hardness of heart, unbelief, and then we could just go on. Mark 16, 14 says this, after this, Jesus appeared to the, to the 11, themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief. If there's a desire to fully follow God, then we need to know what we need to do in order to continue to follow right to the end. Here are four antidotes of a failing heart. And the lessons are in the scripture we just read in Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 12, we are to take care. Care of what? Our heart. It actually means in the original to be aware. Look after your heart. Discern it. Investigate it. Observe it. See. Sometimes we don't like that, but it's, it's the reality. I think I'm doing okay, but sometimes I need to ask Gabe. Am I doing okay, Gabe? Are we good? You still love me? <laughs> Number two, we are to exhort one another. It means to comfort, encourage, and admonish. To consult, to call near, to invite. We are to hold on to our confidence until the end. And Gabe mentioned about coming to the throne of God with confidence. Front of grace, sorry, with confidence. Verse 14, mostly referring to how we stand secure. Our footing is secure. That's what confidence means. It means we're not on slippery, slopy ground. We're on steady, secure ground. Our foot, footing is good. It's secure. And number four, we are to exercise faith. As we read just in the last part, otherwise we end up with an unbelieving heart. God didn't ask for much. He said, I love you. I've set you free. I've heard the cry of my people. I've heard your cry. I've heard your prayers. I love you. I am for you, not against you. And we need to do this together. We need to be in relationship together. I will do what I need to do, and you do what you need to do, and we'll meet in the middle. In Romans 10, 9, and 12, it won't be on the screen, but you'll know this, many of you will know this, that if you shall confess with your mouth at Jesus is Lord and shall believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So how do we apply the antidote? How do we take care How do we exhort one another? How do we hold on to our confidence to the end? And how do we exercise faith rather than doubt? Number one, give God our heart. You've heard heard me say this a few times lately because this is the theme. This is what really matters. We can give and do a lot of things, but God must have our heart. And I'm challenged with this, that Am I giving you my all, Jesus? Am I giving you my all but holding maybe just a little back? Proverbs 23, 26. My son, give me your heart, son, daughter, and let your eyes observe my ways. Give it over. Go for a walk. Sit down and rest and just focus on God and just contemplate how amazing grace we just sang is. We get so busy, we catch up with family and friends at this time of Christmas and the pressure is there. We're we're mindful of people who are not with us, who were 12 months ago or six months ago. Life is different from maybe three or four or five years ago. And we're challenged by all these things and, and the pressure that we all feel Who knows that just in the traffic, you want to drive in Melbourne at Christmas time. Why? Because we put a pressure on us, pressure from around about us. Number two, fill our heart with the word of God. Psalm 119, 9 to 11, how can a young man keep his way pure, young man, young woman? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, Listen to this, with my whole heart I seek you. What would that look like? And that's for nobody to judge, that's just between us and God. Let me not wonder from your commandments, I have stored or treasured your word in my heart, that I may not sin against you. I wonder if, if the Hebrew people, in their journey of the wilderness, were following Externally. Had to be in a relationship with God. Maybe it was just to get through. I don't know. But God wants everything and the word of God washes our heart. When stuff happens in my life, reading the word daily is where it cleanses it. And I often find when there's some stuff that goes on, I tend to ask, are you reading your word? Are you having regular devotions? No. I said, you've got to start there. Because the stuff that just attaches us to ourselves like a magnet and we're just carrying stuff just because of life itself. No fault of our own. And what we need to do is we need to learn how to turn that magnet off. We need to get that word of God in us that washes us, that cleanses us. The word is a hammer, it says. In the Old Testament, it hammers, it breaks things off us. The word of God is powerful. It's alive, it's living. Number three, we need to watch over our hearts. You've heard me share this a few times. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For out of it, all of your life happens. And four, walk in the spirit. In Galatians 5.16, it says, So I say, walk in the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. This word contrary is the word katar, It means against. The flesh and the spirit are hostile enemies. Is enemy territory that we live in every single day. Once you wake up, you're in enemy territory. Let's keep reading. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with one another so that you do not do whatever you want. To walk in the spirit is to allow God to have his way, to be in open communion with him, to be focused on what God wants more than what I want. To be occupied, to fill to the brim with who Christ is. And obviously, this is leading up to, to Christmas. Christmas is all about following God. The word for walk means to walk up and down, to make good of one's opportunities. The Greek word used here was for a school of philosophy in Athens, Greece, in which the founder walked up and down as he taught. The principle for us is walking in the spirit and if we do, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Matthew sixteen twenty-four. and Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever gloriously loses their life for me will find it. So our challenge in this series that concludes is how we are following God. How well are we following God? And what changes need to be made in our lives to follow God much closer? What would God ask us to do less of and to do more of? What would it look like if you prayed and said, Lord, show me what this is? What needs to change in my life, in my heart? What is it? Ask him. This Follow God series is not without its challenges. It is in my heart that we are all challenged to follow God. I am challenged by this series to press in and walk closer with my Lord, to inquire of him. He's not a, something on a, on a necklace or a tattoo, some of them have. He's living in my heart like we heard before. He's living in my heart. And we learn how to surrender our hearts fully to him every single day. I close with this. Proverbs 23, 26. Give me my heart. Give me your heart, my child, and let your eyes delight in my way. Only then can we fully follow God and live how He has called us to live. Let's pray. Father, we are here to give our hearts to you again.